Well, my first introduction to it came in the 90s. The first car I would actually drive when I turned 16 was considered, well, I would say, more of a premium product, but it still fell into more of the American luxury field. The Chrysler New Yorker that my dad owned, well, may have been boxy and boring and square, and yet it was still considered by most a luxury product. It didn't fit in the same mold as BMW, Mercedes, or even Lexus at this time, but it was still part of the American luxury brands. And as I got older, I started to think back and realize Chrysler was a pinnacle luxury auto manufacturer at one point in time. What happened? Well, what really happened to all of those big American luxury brands? American luxury used to be on par with what you found in both Germany and Great Britain. Today, it's slowly getting back to that but it disappeared at some point in time in the 1960s and hasn't returned. Today, Autolux is going to take a look at the rise and fall and the soon rise yet again of the American luxury brands. Welcome back to the Autolux Podcast. I am your host, as always, the doctor to the automotive industry, Mr. Everett J, coming to you from our main host website at autolux.net. If you haven't been there, stop by, check it out, read some of our reviews, check out some of our ratings, research some products on our help pages, and stop by and check out every single major automotive corporation from around the globe, big or small, we have them all on the Autolux Corporate Links website. The Outlooks Podcast is brought to you by Ecom Entertainment Group and distributed by Podbeam.com. If you could find it, any major streaming site around the globe, Podbeam.com helped the Outlooks Podcast get there. And if you'd like to get in touch with both Everett J or the Outlooks Podcast team, email us over at email at Outlooks.net. So like I said in the beginning, American luxury cars. Yes, all the way back into the 20s, American luxury was there. And at the beginning, two names stood out more than anything else. Packard and Cadillac. Packard, on its own, was a great luxury brand, soon forming an alliance and becoming part of the Studebaker Motor Corporation. Packard was the pinnacle of automotive luxury in the 1920s in America, where Cadillac soon grew to become one of the top players, competing with the likes of both Rolls-Royce and Bentley from Europe, and hell, even Maybach at its time. Cadillac was originally devised by Henry Ford. Oddly enough, he created the brand. After his failed Ford Motor Company was taken over by its board directors, he returned with both Cadillac as his own division, which he eventually sold off to help pave the way to bring the Ford Motor Company, or should we say Ford and Edsel Motor Company, to fruition. Ford members soon bought into the, the hoax of a new Ford Motor Company, and with it, Henry managed to buy back the stakes in his original car corporation, leaving Cadillac to the masses. And with William C. Durant seeing the conglomeration of General Motors slowly happening, abiding by the removal of Louis Chevrolet from the Chevrolet brand, with William C. Durant heading it up to go right up against Ford during the 1920s and the glorious days of the Roaring Twenties. Cadillac soon became the pinnacle of luxury brand for the United States. We still utilize it even up until about a decade ago, where when we compared things and tried to say it was the top tier of products, or even the top tier of luxury products, we said it was the Cadillac of something. This eventually failed out due to what happened to the big three in the 1960s, but we'll eventually get to that. At the early days General Motors formation, we eventually had the Buick brand, the LaSalle brand, and the Cadillac brand as the premier luxury brands abiding for its space. 
space in the luxury field. Trying to keep the likes of Rolls-Royce and Maybach out of the North American hands, these brands were big and were here. But as the roaring 20s gave way to the glorious beginning of the 30s, companies like Duesenberg, Packard yet again, Chrysler, Auburn, LaSalle, hell even Lincoln, the new luxury arm of the Ford Motor Company, Buick, Cord, and even we start getting near the end with Graham Hollywood. All these brands, all these amazing products were vying for position in the American automobile industry. And luxury makes were fighting it out. Where at this point in time, automobile manufacturers had price points. Vehicles weren't just a luxury brand like they are today, where they could build entry-level products and top-tier products. No, each part of the market, if you've listened to our Divisions of the Big Three podcast, was a clear indication of how the marketplace worked. You started at the bottom, and as you worked your way up in price points, you moved yourself from one car company into the next. Ford had its Ford at the bottom end, then its Mercury, and then its Lincoln. Chrysler brought Plymouth in to fill a void between Dodge and Chrysler. But yet again, DeSoto was brought in at a bottom end, and then Fargo was brought in for trucks. Luxury en masse in the 1920s and even in the beginning of the 1930s was a big thing. Luxury cars were all the rage for the top-tier corporate executives from around the world. And in America, with a booming economy in the 1920s, luxury was it. And coach builders were taking these luxury products and making them even more desirable and making them even more different for each person who owned them. One of the biggest players in the American luxury ring near the beginning is a lot of people think is always Duesenberg. But Duesenberg was actually outshined by one major automotive corporation, Pierce Arrow. Yes, Pierce Arrow, the American luxury thoroughbred. In today's marketplace, both Duesenberg and Pierce Arrow would classify under the same branding as high-end products like Rolls-Royce and Bentley. Pierce Arrow would be our similarity towards the Rolls-Royce band, with Duesenberg being our similarity to the Bentley Automotive Corporation. Yes, America had top-tier luxury, and even into the 30s, the dirty 30s, we still had these amazing products. We had the Studebaker President Coupe, the Duesenberg Model J Boat Tail, and hell, even the Pierce Arrow, Silver Arrow, and Auburn Supercharged Saloon. These were premier products that people wanted. They looked like luxury. They handled like luxury. These were the products that were giving us cutting-edge technology and cutting-edge designs. Seeing Clark Gable roll up in an Auburn Boattail Speedster was something that was just becoming more and more common in Hollywood. The dirty 30s may be bad for the economy as a whole, but even still, people in Hollywood and corporate executives running the companies that are still making products for the masses had the money to buy luxury. But by the end of the 1930s, some of these makes would eventually disappear. Pierce Arrow being one of the first to take a nosedive, finding little recourse during the dirty 30s, companies like both Duesenberg and Pierce Arrow would eventually falter. Without smaller brands propping them up at the bottom end, they had nothing to go on. So when the dirty 30s really set in during the mid-decade, these top-tier marks who had built products for nearly 20 years were closing up shop. 
with the loss of Cord, Pierce Arrow, and Duesenberg. The American luxury ring was being brought down. It was going from the high-end and premier divisions that we once had into being just that of luxury. Brands like Cadillac, Lincoln, Buick, Chrysler, and even Packard were still giving it a go into the 30s and even early 50s. But there were still people looking at top-tier products. Lincoln was looking at it with the Zephyr. Cadillac, well, let's just say Cadillac at a multitude of amazing products during its lifetime. And the Series 60 became one of their big players. Not just being known as the ultimate mob car, but Cadillac was still there. Being kicked off their top mantle, Cadillac was soon losing ground to Lincoln and their brand new Continental products. Hell, even Chrysler had released the Imperial brand. Cadillac was having trouble keep up with the Series 60 models, with both the sedan, the convertibles, and even the coupes. Packard took a back seat to the big three, where they had gotten into to bed with, with Studebaker to help prop them up in more of the premium and bond tier markets. Studebaker was having trouble keeping it going. Similar to that of the 1930s, the 1940s and its war-torn decade left very little to the big American automotive corporations. And still reeling from the dirty 30s, a lot of these luxury marks weren't able to come back to the same top-tier level that they once were. Rolls-Royce was still kicking it back everywhere in the world where people still recognize them as being the vehicle driven by kings and queens around the globe. In North America, we had Lincolns and Cadillacs. And even at one time, we had Marmon and Roosevelts. We had the luxury make. But unfortunately, those luxury makes weren't making it as per se. World War II came to a close, and all of our men and women from overseas came back home. A lot of them went out to the suburbs and started buying brand new vehicles. They all wanted new vehicles. And innovators like Preston Tucker were looking at this saying, we need to make the car for all of these people. But companies like Chrysler, Cadillac, and Lincoln were looking at it as, these people are going to want stuff, but somebody at the top tier is still going to want Want something above and beyond. Where General Motors has closed up its LaSalle brand, Lincoln and Chrysler were looking to move even further up the food chain. The rise of the Continental in the 1940s gave rise to a brand new premier luxury name in the Lincoln stable, and soon enough the Continental brand would appear. Although short-lived, similar to that of the Imperial brand from Chrysler, both of them eventually became the top tier of luxury for the American automobile industry. But it's the 50s, and people want products. Everybody wants a Chevrolet Bel Air. Hell, people are moving into SUVs with the Wagoneers. And it's the 60s. Chrome, fender flares, pink Cadillacs are becoming a big thing. And even though we use wood paneling and actual wood in the construction of even luxury vehicles in the 1940s, the 50s were about chrome and steel, something that became synonymous with luxury makes in the North American marketplace for decades to come. And into the 50s, even the big three knew that they can set their price points higher and go after more of a luxury field. Mercedes, BMW, even Rolls-Royce, they weren't here in a big way and taking away our market share. We could still sell them our 
Chrysler Crown Imperial at a top-tier market for the corporate executive to move around town. He'll still go roll down to the beach in his Packard convertible coupe, similar to that of which Doc Brown drove in Back to the Future. Packard was slowly moving into the standardized brand, moving further up the food chain and sitting in the same likes of both Buick and even Plymouth at its time. Packard had lost its pinnacle of luxury and into the 50s, Packard Studebaker brand was falling by the wayside. People were buying their products, but not on the same mass as the big three. By the end of the 50s and the beginning of the 60s, the American automobile industry had been whittled down to just four. And out of those four, only three of them had luxury brands. Even though American Motors owned brands that once old luxury products, they weren't in a financial position to go after a luxury mark. And during the 50s, rise this amazing products, similar to the Muntz Jet Worldwide or the Curtis Sport, showed us that there were still interest boutique luxury products. But it's the end of the 50s, the fall of Studebaker Packard and the amalgamation of Kaiser Hudson has put a strain on the automotive market placing the United States and luxury was not king. Luxury was there but it was owned by the big three. It was owned by Cadillac, Lincoln, Chrysler and then the two sub brands with Continental, Imperial and hell even for Cadillac the Eldorado name became big. American luxury was still prevalent and even moving through the 60s and into the 70s Cadillac, Lincoln and Chrysler were still there. Luxury products were still there, but they were not on the same part that they once were during the Roaring Twenties or the Dirty Thirties. With Duesenberg, Packard, and Pierce Arrow out of the picture, there was no high-end or premier brands in North America. Sure, you can get a pink Cadillac, like Elba sang about, or cruise around in style, similar to that of JFK in the Lincoln Continental Convertible. Hell, rolling around in the Coupe de Ville, or Cadillac Fleetwood, the Imperial Crown, which was also driven by the Green Hornet. These were big, amazing products, and big was the big seller in North America. We didn't care about big, massive, luxury chrome grills that they did on the other side of the planet. And from the 60s and into the 70s, <coughs> luxury and its name in North America soon became Cadillac. Where the 50s were owned by the Imperial brand from Chrysler. The 60s were owned by the Continentals of Lincoln. The Fleetwoods and DeVilles of Cadillac owned the 70s. And with the American industry being diehard fans of their homegrown products, setting aside products from Mazda, Toyota, Honda, even Volkswagen and Mercedes, they were all boutique builders trying to make a big name for themselves in the North American marketplace. But American luxury was American luxury. Sure, Mercedes had their old S-Class, and with it, it was luxury, and it was diesel. But who gives a flying fuck about that? When you got a Coupe de Ville, or a Cadillac Fleetwood, some of the biggest boats on the road. You want to cruise around in a Mercedes, BMW, hell, even a Rolls Royce. No, those weren't American products. American products were it. And in North America, you'd prefer to be seen driving a Cadillac than a luxury brand from any other make in the world. And this followed through all the way to the gas crisis of the 1970s. And with that, the American luxury marks soon would see what it's like to not be at the top of their game.
Throughout the 60s and 70s, both Lincoln and Cadillac played around with the ideas of station wagons and even pickup trucks, trying to enter luxury into every facet of working life. And they did this only because they could. Everybody demanded everything and they thought everybody wanted luxury with everything. Chrysler didn't follow suit, as Chrysler was the littler of the big three, but it still owned the market with its New Yorker Imperial nameplate. And in 1978, the New Yorker Brom, one of the biggest cars next to the Chrysler Newport, floated on by like these massive limos of the road. And into the 70s, that became the new mainstay of being known as being rich. Owning a limo during the 70s and 80s was it. Hell, even into the 90s, if you owned a limo, you had made it. You were on top of your game. You needed that luxury and you needed it today. The luxury product for the North America marketplace were eventually being phased out. The Continental brand by the end of the 60s was gone. Chrysler had cancelled the Imperial name and slowly brought it back in the 1980s, just before their major fall. And they did this because of the rise of European luxury marks. Or in the 1970s, cruising around in a Coupe de Ville was it. That was it. That was luxury. That was American luxury. Nobody can do it better. Well, with the gas crisis, lots of other companies could. And Mercedes was one of the few luxury brands that had diesel products in North America. Sure, diesel was the same thing as petroleum. And your gasoline and diesel product were on the same wavelength. But diesels, you can go further on a tank of gas than your standard gasoline engines. And these diesel vehicles were way more efficient. Cadillac and Lincoln both played around with the ideas of diesel products. Fortunately, it fizzled out. And as the 80s arrived, the big, burly American cars from Chrysler, Cadillac, and Lincoln were being phased out in favor of new fun and fuel-efficient products from Europe. The, as the yuppie scene appeared in the marketplace in the 1980s, you were more likely to see them driving a Mercedes SL300 or a BMW 3003. These were luxury products from Europe. Mercedes and BMW were it, and they were luxurious. If you'd made it, you still rolled around on a limo built by a North American counterpart. But for your day-to-day -day driving, you weren't driving around in this massive Fleetwood boat. You were rolling around in a BMW 3. By the end of the 80s, the American luxury scene was collapsing within itself. Chrysler, with their bankruptcy, had to come back from the bottom of the barrel to rebuild themselves as a luxury mark once again. Introducing products like the New Yorker K-Car in the 80s destroyed their luxury image that they once held with the Imperial nameplate. Chrysler was gone. They were a premium brand. Lincoln was being dissolved upon itself. The town car was the only nameplate it managed to hold on to in the 80s as a luxury staple in North America, being utilized for both limo and limousine services. The town car was it, but with Cadillac. Cadillac was holding their own. And with General Motors and its multiple divisions propping them up at the bottom side, Cadillac managed to come through the 80s as still a top-tier luxury brand from the American marketplace. It held out against the German invasion. But this is the 80s. And in 1989, when the Acura RL and Lexus LS hit the market, 
Cadillacs. Cadillacs saw what was coming and knew they had a fight on their hands. Sure, the Eldorado and Eldorado convertibles and the Cadillac DeVilles in the 1990s would become a luxury nameplate. Hell, even the Coupe DeVilles. You would see your grandparents driving them around, but they were still considered a luxury product. Cadillac held their own. Where Lincoln and Chrysler had failed to maintain that luxury stance, Cadillac was holding on. And Cadillac was ensuring their viability into the future. And first, with the Germans in the 70s and early 80s, the Japanese luxury marks coming out in the late 80s and slowly taking the Americans by storm during the 90s, with cheaper alternatives to their American product lines with more features and better build quality, the mentality of American only was being phased out. Americans love their cars, but unfortunately, the quality of their products was not on par with that of what was arriving from Japan. And the luxury features were not on par with what you were getting from the Germans. Hell, even the British with Jaguar were showcasing to the Americans what luxury really was. And Chrysler's rebirth during the 90s started to showcase that they had a feel for the luxury market. Same with Lincoln. And they were slowly starting to rebuild themselves in the marketplace. The 80s belonged to the Germans, and the 90s belonged to the Asians. But the 2000s eventually showcased to the world that American luxury was coming back. Sure, we didn't have as many big marks as we once did back in the 1920s and 30s. We only have the big two, where Chrysler still wasn't hitting the mark of being a luxury brand. Both Cadillac and Lincoln were moving their ways back up. Cadillac with the release of the hard edge product, the CTS, and Lincoln with the release of the Navigator, bringing a new generation into the luxury world, something not seen from any other make. The Navigator wasn't the first on the scene, with the Escalade being there before, but the Escalade was just a Cadillac logo on a GMC product, where the Navigator, sure, may have been an expedition, but it was an expedition with its own design. Luxury and premium SUVs were becoming a thing. And with the rise of the SUV marketplace, luxury SUVs were where it was at. Jeep for the Chrysler Corporation was already there. Chrysler didn't really need to enter this marketplace. They eventually did with the Chrysler Aspen, a rebadged version of the Durango, but it was short-lived. Chrysler Corporation had the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the epitome of premium SUVs from the early 90s. This was a product that American Motors had built to save their company and the Jeep brand. And it was now becoming what everybody was modeling themselves after if they wanted luxury SUVs. But the rise of the Escalade and the Navigator showcased to all of us luxury and American luxury was here and it was big yet again. The early 2000s were days of big, burly vehicles once again. With the introduction of the Cadillac DeVille, the Chrysler 300, and now the Escalade Navigator, the big American luxury cars were back and America was getting its feet wet once again with luxury. Unfortunately, that luxury only belonged to Cadillac with products like the XLR, the CTS, and soon the DTS. To replace the DeVille, Cadillac was there. They were owning the luxury marketplace in North America, where Chrysler handled the biggest portion of the premium marketplace. And with the loss of Plymouth in the early 2000s, Chrysler Corporation, or soon-to-be Daimler Chrysler, only had Chrysler and Dodge. 
Lincoln was faltering back with only the Navigator being at the top. With, with the release of the new Zephyr and MKS, Lincoln was showcasing to us that they could do luxury once again. But it really wasn't until the arrival of the new Lincoln Continental that people start to see Lincoln in a brand new light. Lincoln was slowly moving out of their premium field. Now similar to the 70s, Lincoln during the 2000s had played around the idea of pickup trucks with the Blackwood and the Mark LTs. Where Cadillac had the Escalade yet, XT, Chrysler had nothing, and luxury trucks were a very short-lived product range, with premium products being its carryover. And if you'd like to hear more about this, you can go back and listen to our podcast about luxury trucks and why this market does not work. After you're done listening to this one, stop by, check it out, and take a listen. So here's Cadillac with its edge design, paving the way for a new luxury appeal of the American industry. Lincoln has the Continental and the Navigator, and Chrysler has the 300. Well, 2008, the global economy is crashing and a little startup, Palo Alto, California, is making waves into the electric vehicle industry. Soon enough, after the release of the Roadster, Tesla releases its first generation Model S. Not the most luxurious looking car, essentially being a gelatinous blob for the road, the Model S paves the way for a new generation of luxury consumers. Stealing customers away from Cadillac, Lexus, and BMW, Tesla isn't just showcasing a new power source. They're showcasing a new way you can do luxury for the future of the automobile industry. Its price point only really set it at a luxury and premium appeal, where Tesla's products were more in line with the standardized product you'd find from Chrysler, Buick, or before they passed away, Mercury. Tesla didn't have all the world's greatest things, but they were here, and they're showcasing to the world that luxury from American brands was coming back, but only at a price point. Soon enough, Cadillac would change to their letter orientation with the CTS, the ATS, the XTS. Lincoln would bring back the Continental. Buick would add the Avenir brand, bringing them out of the premium field and into the luxury world. Jeep would add the Grand Wagoneer, and hell, on the other side of the pond, the Commander and Grand Commander products to both the premium and luxury fields, bringing Jeep more in line with what products are available from Cadillac and Lincoln. Jeep was becoming the luxury arm for the SUV world. Chrysler and its premium products were falling by the wayside. Chrysler is all but forgotten, even today, with only the Pacifica left. Will they return to us in the luxury arm? Well, for that, you would actually have to go back and listen to some of our podcasts about the fall and rise of the Chrysler brand. But today, one little company is proving themselves on the other side of the pond as being more of a premium slash luxury make in the American luxury field. And that is Buick. Buick has products which run in the same class as Cadillac. General Motors isn't thinking of moving Cadillac to the top tier with their internal combustion engines. But Cadillac, seeing the rise from one simple little company in 2008, the release of the Lucid Air showed us that American luxury can come back to the premier marketplace. Where once we had Auburn, Duesenberg, and Pierce Arrow, Lucid is the rise of the American luxury car for the next generation. Lucid is showcasing to us electric luxury at its finest. Lucid, you may think, is a luxury brand, but their products still fall into the same category as Bentley Continentals. The Lucid Air is a premier product, the only premier product in existence in the North American marketplace until 
2024. Cadillac has said, We have stood by the wayside for too long. We have allowed companies like Rolls-Royce and Maybach to come back and take over our luxury share. America needs to build luxury cars once again. And here's Cadillac releasing the Celeste Premier Executive Saloon. This thing is a limo for the road. It brings back the orientation of the old DeVilles for a new generation with electric platforms. It brings luxury to a new standpoint in the American automobile industry. Similar to how Tesla started showcasing the electric industry to luxury from the North American marketplace and Lucid showcased to us premier products can't exist in America. Cadillac wants its standing back. They want to be known as the Cadillac of everything once again. And American luxury is showcasing to us what they did a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago at this time, Pierce Arrow, Duesenberg, Packard, Stutz, LaSalle, hell, even the Imperial brands, they were here. We had Phaeton products. We had luxury. North America had luxury. And we had big luxury brands. Today, we have one luxury brand. And that one luxury brand is showcasing to the world what American luxury really is. But with Tesla, Rivian, and Lucid rising in the luxury and premier fields, America is now showcasing to the world that we can do luxury once again. And with it, we will come back from where we once were to build ourselves to becoming the luxury standpoint of the automobile industry. Can we do it? Can Lucid showcase to the world that America can build products on par with Rolls-Royce, Bentley, and Maybach? Yes, we can. And America, through the Lucid Air and Cadillac Celeste, is going to showcase to the world that premier automotive luxury is here. If Stellantis was smart, they would build platforms that utilize both Maserati and Imperial from Chrysler as premier products to show showcase both Italian and American luxury at the forefront. We can't let the British and German run the luxury world. And America is not standing back and allowing them to do this. The Navigator and Escalade were only the start of the rise of the American luxury industry again. Where the Air and the Celeste are going to be what shows the world that America means business when it comes to the world of luxury. Rolls-Royce is the world standard for luxury. But can an American brand compete on that same line? Yes, it once did. Now do we have to bring back the likes of Duesenberg and Pierce Arrow to do it? Or can we just utilize what is already existing. Lucid and Cadillac seem to think so. So American luxury. Do you believe us? Do you believe the fact that American luxury is still a standard across the globe? No, not really. Lincoln has become a premium brand, similar to that of Infinity and Acura, where Chrysler has become more of a standardized brand with premium features, similar to that of the Toyota Avalons of the 1980s and early 2000s. But Cadillac and Lucid are showcasing to us that American luxury can come back from where it once was. Let's just hope they keep at it. So if you like this podcast, please like, share, or comment about it on any of the major social feeds that you find the Autolux podcast on, from Facebook to Twitter to Instagram and even Pinterest and YouTube. You can find the Autolux.net podcast there. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send an email over to email at Autolux.net. 
And once you're done doing all that, stop by the website, review some of the Automotive Corporate Links websites from around the globe, big or small, we have them all on the Autolux.net website. Read some of our reviews, check out some of our ratings, and get some help from our help pages at the Autolux.net website. The Autolux podcast has been brought to you by Ecom Entertainment Group and distributed by Podbeam.com. If you'd like to get in touch with the Autolux podcast team, send us an email over at email at Autolux.net. So, for myself, Everett Jay, the Autolux.net website and team, and Ecom Entertainment Group, strap yourself in for this one luxurious ride that the American automobile industry will take us on once again.